All right, so back to another cutting room floor. And, you know, this Sunday kind of leaned into Saul and the beginning of his story. And coming out of that sermon, just realizing, man, there was kind of a lot of literary elements and allusions mm -hmm. and echoes. And often we're not used to reading the Bible that way. Sure. And so, you know, we're taught like in Sunday school, like we do it sort of like, you know, story by story, mm -hmm. but we don't often pay attention to how they're connected. connected and interconnected and you know there were a number of things in this one it was like the civil war in judges mm -hmm. connected now with saul and him and yeah. his response then you have all these echoes back to genesis 3 sure. and yeah. these fall narratives and totally. i think it could be a little overwhelming totally. for people yeah um so thought maybe during this time we could just sort of riff back sure one, like kind of talk about what, what I talked about a little, maybe in a little more detail, and then also unpacked some more that was sure. there that we didn't even that we get, get to. to. Totally. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And I think maybe just a, a group was a number of places we could start is maybe we can just start ex with the story itself okay. and kind of yeah. work through that a little bit. And then yeah. we'll be able to, from there, branch out into the different okay. kind of echoes and illusions. Yeah. Um, so, you know, you started in chapter nine, uh, kind of introduced to Saul. He's going to basically become essentially the first king of Israel. But as the story starts out in the first couple of verses, we're told, and in our English translations, we're told that either he's handsome or good looking or something yeah. to that effect. Um, but underneath that, though, in the original text is the word tov, which we've talked about yeah. a lot, is the Hebrew word that often is translated good. Yeah. And so right off the bat, multiple times, I think two times within a, just a short amount of text, Saul is described as tov or good. And then you kind of keep going on through the story, a couple other, you know, I, I would call them like really important key words for these kind of repeated themes yeah. pop up. The idea of Saul being seen, that kind of appears again. So in, yeah. in verse 17, when Saul is looked at, or Samuel specifically sees Saul, and he it says that Samuel saw or Saul was seen, the Lord told him, here is the man. Yeah. Here's the one that's going to be the, the one to save and restore yeah. uh, God's people. And then the text goes on in verse 22, Saul is taken. So Samuel takes Saul, and then Saul is given to the people or given at a place at the table. Mm -hmm. And then there's this weird, awkward, and awkward might be too uh, weird of a way to describe it, but there's this little detail where or Saul is described as kind of being hidden among the baggage mm -hmm. in that same <laughs> chapter, kind of around verse 20 and yeah. following. And that's definitely one of those details that, you know, you're like, why am I being told this? But there's actually a connection back to uh, Joshua chapter 7 where Achan, after they have their kind of initial victory going into the promised land, uh, Achan sees some like uh, really valuable gold and jewelry, takes those uh, kind of like bounty from the battle yeah. that was just won, sees what is good in his eyes, takes it, and hides it. Yeah. Um, and in a similar way, now Saul, instead of him hiding something yeah. himself, he's like being the one hidden yeah. amongst the baggage. And it's the same verbiage and the same vocabulary yeah. uh, being taken place. So now, this idea of like Saul is seen mm -hmm. to be tove. Yes. And he's taken and he's hidden. He's hidden. Exactly now. So yeah. he's the one who's hidden just like instead of the, the like the gold or the treasure yeah. the was pillage. hidden in uh, Joshua chapter 7. Yeah. Now, when we kind of do like a take a step back from that, those are kind of just some key words. So tov, uh, seen, the verb to see, uh, take or taken, and then give or given. Those mm -hmm. kind of language, that language and that vocabulary are some very key words that actually go all the way back to the book of Genesis and Genesis chapter three. Yeah. And I think this is where what you're alluding to at the beginning here of seeing these repeated themes and ideas play themselves out, not just in the book of Genesis, but also throughout the rest 
of the Old Testament. And I think a lot of that is intentional. So yep. if we were to go back to the Genesis 3 story, we don't need to read through all the details of it. But that these same kind of verbs and ideas take place. So the humans see what is good in their own eyes. They take, and then the woman gives that piece of fruit to the man, Adam. And then that's where the whole fall, yep. traditionally what we think of the fall, yep. takes and place. Hide. And they hide. And, yeah, exactly. They hide yep. themselves because of the shame in uh, Genesis 3. And so what we're kind of pointing out and what you talked about on Sunday is paying attention to really these key repeated ideas and themes and the intentionality behind them and kind of asking ourselves the question, like, why do I need to even read the Bible this way? Why is this significant? Yeah. Because I, like you mentioned, oftentimes we would just read first Samuel nine and not at least initially think about Genesis three yeah. and definitely not think about like Joshua seven, yeah. and the Aiken story. Yeah, yeah. Um, so kind of then asking ourselves the question, what is the benefit of reading the Bible uh, like this? Hmm. And I think there's a, a number of ways we can you know think about this. I think one of them that at least comes to my mind is it helps us to not only just be isolated in one particular text, but allows us to go back and forth and compare and contrast different stories. And it also reminds us that what we're reading in first Samuel nine is an essentially kind of a repeat, but slightly different of mm. Genesis three. And these uh, patterns that humans have of seeing, taking what is good in their own eyes, hiding is something that's actually kind of inherent and kind of built into sort of the human condition, if you will. Mm. And that Saul, at least the initial part of that story is essentially replaying Genesis three now just at a different time. And yeah. it gets us to begin to think, okay, how might I be replaying Genesis three yeah. in my own life as I that's see good. and take to find what is good in my own eyes, maybe hide something out of, yeah. you know, whatever reason or motive there might be with that. And it gets us thinking, this is a biblical way of talking about that Genesis three, the fall is not an isolated event in the past, mm. but it's something is replaying itself throughout human history. Yeah. And by implication, yeah. if we're honest, oftentimes plays itself out in my own uh, personal life and yeah. gets us to really think about and slow down. Yeah. How might I re be replaying Genesis three in my own life yeah. at times. Good. Well, and you see it also like it seems like almost every major transition mm -hmm. in Genesis through where we are in first Samuel, there is a fall narrative, For sure. which I think is trying to get us at what you're saying. Exactly. Like, oh, actually this keeps happening. For sure. For uh, sure. And as the story goes in, we're meant to then read ourselves into the story exactly. of, Oh, and this is likely happening for me. For me, yeah. exactly. Yeah, because a couple of the examples that you mentioned, we've mentioned before, Genesis 16, the Abraham, Sarah, and Hagar story, yeah. that same repeated vocabulary is used yeah. there. Uh, the golden calf story, Exodus yeah. 32, same vocabulary is used there. So a lot, and then, well, we haven't gotten it to it yet in the Samuel study, but when David sees Bathsheba, it's the same language of David sees Bathsheba, and it's often translated Bathsheba as beautiful, but it's Tov again there, yeah. and David sees Bathsheba, takes her, yeah. so on and so forth. So it's against another fall narrative being replayed hmm. in, that's in the book of Second Samuel with the David and yeah. Bathsheba. Uh, episode. But I think that in and of itself, just having that kind of larger overview of yeah. being aware and then inviting us as readers and people who are engaging with the text ourselves, whether in community or individually, yeah. to be kind of paying attention to these key kind of ideas and themes as they pop themselves out. And I think maybe a couple, I don't know if handholds is the right word, but kind of pointers or pillars okay. to kind of orient us. How might we kind of incorporate some of this in our own mm -hmm. sort of Bible reading? And I think a lot of it has to do with, I think, number one, really being familiar with Genesis one through three in particular, yeah. and really having those stories sort of more or less kind of downloaded yeah. as we engage. Because they're constantly being referred Exa to. Exactly. There's so much like, whether it's explicit quotations or subtle words or references, being uh, kind of alluded to again later on, especially in the Old Testament and really even in the New Testament yeah. as well. So I think the more familiar a person is with Genesis one through three, it'll help them 
as they kind of engage with later uh, texts uh, yeah. throughout the rest of the Old Testament uh, in particular. And then another thing, too, with that is, especially with the way that, say, like, especially if you have, like, a, an ESV or New American Standard, a translation that's more apt to really kind of pay attention to the specific words and kind of, as not perfectly, but as much as possible, copying a more, like, word-for-word -word, uh, translation of the text. Oftentimes, what you're able to see with some of that are the key repeated words that do happen. And so in a case like this, noticing these repeated words like handsome multiple times yeah. in a text or these verbs of like seeing and taking, noticing those multiple times in a text like that, just paying attention to repeated words. It sounds very simple, but is actually, I think, one of the most helpful ways to be able to read this by read, read our Bibles yeah. in the way that we're kind of uh, describing here in this yeah. literary sort of way especially words that appear in genesis 1 through exactly three. yeah so if you're familiar with the vocabulary of genesis 1 yeah. through 3 and see those repetitions later on in biblical text you're kind of already engaging with you know a huge percentage of what it means to read the bible in a way that is referencing and making these connections yeah. to different stories well what's interesting is i think if we were reading a book mm. and you're in a literature class let's yeah. say at university you would think this way. Totally. Oh, for sure. Right. You'd think, oh, the author is intentionally creating a story mm -hmm. that has all these illusions. Yes. And sometimes we need to put on that hat yes. when we're reading the Bible. For sure. And think, okay, God designed a story mm -hmm. that we're meant to read yes. that like is masterfully done. It's, yeah. And, and we it's, should expect all of these cool totally. illusions to yes. be happening. And it's not just like... You know, we're trying to find Easter eggs for the sake of like finding cool yeah, Easter eggs or totally. whatever. It is a on one level a yes, a beautiful work of literary art. But I think on, on a deeper level than that, it's hopefully growing our appreciation for the text itself mm. and funneling that appreciation to to God Himself, yeah. seeing that He is this like orchestrating all these different things, all these yeah. different events, yeah. and the way that this beautiful story is now given to us yeah. uh, should deepen our worship and appreciation of the God who is authoring yeah. this story, and. Yeah, go well, for I was it. just going to say, it would be fun, like, I sort of teased out more on the side of, like, see, good, take, hide, mm -hmm. that side. But I didn't really get into the serpent. Yes, totally. Do you want to, like, yeah, yeah. pull that out So, yeah, bit? you briefly mentioned that in 1 Samuel 11. So, 1 Samuel 11 is the story, as we keep kind of going in after Saul's introduced as king, so on and yeah. so forth. Kind of his first major task, if you will, as after being anointed, yeah. is to defeat this character called Nahash and the kind of the leader of, of this foreign enemy to Israel. Mm -hmm. And what's interesting is just, again, looking at the word Nahash, it's literally the exact same word for serpent. So like, it's the same word that appeared in Genesis It's the 3. same word that appears in Genesis 3. It's the same three Hebrew consonants. Yeah. And even when I looked at it today, it's this, the same, same vowels are even <laughs> inserted there. So it's literally, it yeah. doesn't look any different. If in, you're a Hebrew scholar, the vowels, it's just... You wouldn't really know this, exactly. but like that means that's like identical. It's like it's yeah. Yeah, it's just as, as close as it can get. So Nahash is the word there for the proper name, yeah. um, and it's just exactly the same word Nahash in Hebrew for to describe the serpent yeah. in Genesis three. And so think about the story thus far. What you have is you have this longing for a king that the story, the kind of the overall story, has been building towards. Like think of the end of the book of Judges. Kind of the early chapters of Samuel, and then even the the misdirected request of the people to want a king, even though like the other nations, there's been this buildup for yeah. someone to be a king to deliver God's people. And if you go back even further to Genesis 3, there was this longing that there would be someone from the seed of the woman that would crush the head of the snake. Okay, that was so Genesis 3.15. So, yes. like Genesis 3, right, there's these curses yes, uh, and these statements, and there's in there, after the fall, there's this statement of, at some point, there's going to be a snake crusher. Yes. 
totally. going to come. Yeah, so Genesis 3.15, oftentimes kind of the geeky term that people use for the Proto-Evangelion, the first gospel, kind of okay. the first kind of kind of hint or message that there will someday in the future be someone that will defeat evil at its source. And so you have that line in 3.15, Genesis 3.15, mm. uh, you will crush or you will bruise his heel, speaking about of the snake, okay. and he, referring to the seed of the woman, the, the, the descendant from Eve, will crush your head, talking about the head yeah. of the snake. Yeah. And so what this has done is it's built in from the very beginning of the, of the Hebrew Bible, the Old Testament, this longing and this expectation for someone to come from the line of Eve, from the seed of the woman, yeah. that would defeat evil, the, the serpent, at, the, at its source. Okay. And so you've been, this momentum's been building as you read along. Yeah. And now you come to 1 Samuel, the longing for the king, at least if you're like initially reading this, yeah. it seems to be fulfilled, yeah. right? Here's this tove, handsome, tall guy. You know, he's you know, the, the, the choice pick to be yeah. king. He's anointed. Yeah. So there's all this language. He's probably the snake crusher. This, this might be him. Yeah. And then the, <laughs> the very first kind of major story of yeah. this king in a moment where he needs to help deliver God's yeah. people he is none other going up against Nahash. Yeah. Like, and you're going, like, someone... This isn't coincidental. This is not coincidental at this point, yeah. right? So 1 Samuel 11, again, is a story where, again, for I would put myself in this camp, too. I would probably just skip over this. Yeah. And it's like... Well, you would, how would you even know? Yeah, it's another ancient it's story. Name. Yeah, another Nahash. name. It like, doesn't say serpent. Exactly. So you wouldn't even know. Wouldn't even know. But what we're being set up for is, oh, my gosh, here is this anointed figure yeah. that has defeated... Nahash has defeated yeah. a serpent. This is what we longed for. This is exactly what we longed for. And then when you get to the end of of that story. So this is, let me find it here. In, so he defeats, Saul defeats Nahash in, in 1 Samuel 11. By the time you get to the end of that narrative, towards the end of chapter 11 and the beginning of 12, that's when Israel then begins to actually acknowledge, hey, this is actually our king. Mm-hmm. This is who we've been wanting for. Before, it was kind of suspect maybe he's just going to be like anointed yeah. like like a judge it yeah. was like that language of prince yeah. and then the actual language of king is yeah. used only after he defeats Saul does the Nahash the Nahash the serpent exactly but as the story progresses and most of us kind of know how yeah. Saul's narrative you know takes place what you have after the of the after the Nahash story Samuel gives his kind of farewell speech he says I've I've done my best. I've yeah. done what I can. Here you go. Here you go. You've yeah. made this request to be like the other nations. It's yeah. kind of like, you know, I did what I can. Yeah. And then the very next narrative of Saul is what, you're, what you'll get into at the time of this recording this coming Sunday is the story where Saul has his kind of what it's described as his like unlawful sacrifice. Mm-hmm. And it really begins his fall and Saul's own demise mm-hmm. as he becomes more and more disobedient and more and more selfish as it becomes to like trying to hold on to his own power yeah. at this point. And so what you now have is this kind of think of it like if you're visualizing this, this like increase where you know Saul is ascending, he's growing, yeah. momentum, he defeats the serpent Nahash. And then the very next narrative, though, it begins to tank and it mm-hmm. begins this process yep. of what ends up becoming this, the beginning of the end for Saul. And it's, yeah. it's a very tragic, tragic story, which we'll get into as we uh, talk about it more on Sundays. Now, there's that story right there. Mm-hmm. What's interesting, though, is, again, Nahash, same word for serpent, <laughs> reappears with the next king of Israel. Yeah. And it's it's super interesting because what you have now is David, so the next king after Saul, and yeah. there's a whole backstory there that we don't yeah. really get, need to get into right now. And then David, one of his first major battles yeah. is not against Nahash per se, but it's against the son or the seed of Nahash. So now the seed of the serpent now the is serpent going. Seed the serpent seed is, is against the king. Is a, is it going against the king? And it's actually it's the second king yeah. of Israel, so to speak. So it's like <laughs> the second generation. Obviously, I mean, technically, yeah. David's family with with yeah. Saul as far as in laws yeah. go. 
but it's now just kind of work with yeah. it. The second generation yeah. going up against each other. And what's interesting, the back, so this is just, let me get it right here. Second Samuel 10 is the story yeah. where David is going to go up against Hanan, the son of literally, it's the son of the serpent, yeah. Nahash. Yeah. The story right before is probably one of my most, it's the most, I think one of the most underrated, but I think most powerful stories in David's life. When David shows kindness to Mephibosheth, mm. a member of Saul's family. Yeah. So what you have up to this point now is an anointed figure, yeah. who is going to be king, who is now showing love to his enemies, Mephibosheth. Mm. You're like, okay, this is a definitely a like step this, up. This, this is, is the guy. Yeah. And so you have David showing love to his enemies. Like, I wonder if that's going to be an important kind of yeah. theme in a king And then someday. he defeats the serpent's son. And he defeats the serpent's son. And even before that, David showed, attempted to show kindness yeah. to Hanan, son of Nahash. He actually wanted to wow. essentially show the same language for showing kindness to Mephibosheth. Yeah. He shows kindness to Hanan, the son of the serpent. Yeah. Hanan, as the seed of the serpent, <laughs> betrays David's kindness. And get this, in the seed of Nahash, Strips bare the servants of David, and the text says in verse five of Second Samuel ten, they were naked and greatly ashamed. I've never heard that. So before. there is there a level. So you, here you have another serpent figure yeah. doing something that leads to nakedness and shame. Yeah. Like where else have we heard that before? Yeah. This, I mean, it's just like from a literary perspective, it's like bells. Yes. Are going off totally. in our heads. Like, whoa, that's exactly how Adam and Eve felt exactly. after the fall. And you're what we're getting at here then. Okay. So here's a pattern. Not only we mentioned at the beginning of this kind of conversation of kind of the human condition, seeing, taking, yeah. giving all those kind of similar verbs, yeah. what's right in our own eyes. Here we have a pattern of what the serpent figure is doing, yeah. doing something that leads to nakedness, nakedness and shame. Yeah. And so I think it just kind of helps to build this theology of like, you know, you kind of probably would need to develop it with more text here. Yeah. We could do this if we had more time is looking at, okay, the, the effect of serpent like figures leads to mm. shame in people's lives. And so we begin to build this theology from Genesis three and here in the second Samuel narrative, and we can keep going yeah. on with different ideas with this, yeah. but we begin to see, this is kind of how, what I think, and I think a lot of people would say this too, what it means to actually think theologically and biblically, where yes, you're working through a lot of what might be perceived as like geeky, nerdy kind of stuff, but hopefully it begins to help form and shape our imaginations and mm -hmm. ways of thinking in the world yeah. of what it means to be human, the human condition, and in this case also the work of the, yeah. the Nahash, the serpent yeah. uh, in, 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 huma in humanity and yeah. just kind of day-to-day -day life. Yeah. Um, but one more thing building off of that. So yeah. you have... <laughs> David defeating Nahash, defeating yeah. the serpent. Just like Saul. Just like Saul. Defeated the serpent. Just like Saul defeated the serpent. Yeah. And just like the very next primary narrative for Saul yeah. begins the fall, so yeah. to speak, of himself, where he has that unlawful yeah. sacrifice. The very next narrative, so 2 Samuel 10 is David again defeating Nahash. Yeah. 2 Samuel 11 is what I mentioned a couple moments ago, yeah. where David sees a Tove woman, Bathsheba, yeah takes her and we, most of us know how that story ends. Yeah. And so again, what we have here is oftentimes, and I think there's merit to this, Saul is depicted as like this, you know, kind of morally culpable, not so great of a figure, yeah. but he does have this kind of rise and, yeah. and fall. They have a similar ascendancy yes. in narrative form and then a similar like snake crushing moment yes. and then a similar fall. Fall, exactly. And so my, but the point here is that David actually in a lot of ways, there is some significant differences yeah. because there's David, an improvement. There's an improvement. David yeah. does have the promise of the everlasting covenant through his line yeah. in Second Samuel seven. So I'm not trying to make David and Saul equal no. per se. There's but the clearly Bible is creating a comparison. There's creating a comparison because that even that figure, as great as David is, now is going to have that same fall of after defeating a Nahash figure. Yeah. 
has his own fall narrative yeah. himself he's in Bathsheba. He's not the ultimate snake crusher. He's not the ultimate snake crusher. That exactly. That, exactly. That will be Jesus. And so the Bathsheba narrative in that episode right there, and then yes, David repents and he has that you know really powerful moment of confession. He writes Psalm 51 more than likely as a result mm. of that. Yes, that's great. But that really does begin kind of the fall, if you will, of David's own struggles because his own family from then on out is more or less a train wreck as the rest of Samuel kind of continues. And I think what we're pointing out here is, again, this is a a fun way you can spend hours kind of digging into like the weeds with some of this stuff. But when you do take a step back, you do see that there is something being at least attempted to be communicated, uh, attempted to be communicated by these authors in how these stories are being told in ways that compare and contrast them to get us to think and slow down. Okay, how might these patterns be connected? Yes, in the biblical text, but I think also there's an application for us as well. How might these same patterns be showing themselves uh, in our own lives? So I, I hear you inviting us to, great, unpack a word, unpack a verse, mm-hmm. look at one story in its context, yeah. maybe even look at one story in its own book context. Totally. Yeah, yeah. But also there's a way of reading the scriptures where you see broader themes. Yes, for sure. And those themes, when they're repeated regularly, are an invi- invitation to us to say, these are probably going to repeat in your life yes, too. Yes, for sure. Yes. Uh, and how might we be cognizant and wise yeah. in those moments yeah. in our own life? Yeah, for and sure. paying attention, especially to riffs back to Genesis, Genesis 1, 2, and 3. Yes. And how those are sort of continually echoing. Yes. Back. And I would say too, like this is like good literature does this. This is not like I think completely exclusive to the Bible. Yeah. So like if you know if someone's familiar with like Lord of the Rings, like there's a lot of that happening in those mm-hmm. books as well. Even in like modern day movies, and this is kind of a silly example, but I think like it it helps I think give us a parallel modern uh, way that think about this. You think about the the Star Wars original trilogy, and then the trilogy that just came out. If someone just were to think about just real quickly the all the similarities between yeah. those two movies and like, you know, we have a hero starting off on a desert planet, like the need to destroy like this big kind of space machine. That's a circle, yeah. like in the sky, like, there's a lot of similarities there. Yeah. And for someone who like geeks out on star Wars, it gets you to compare and contrast yeah. the differences and then, or the similarities. And then when there is a difference, like ask it's yourself the question, it's significant. Exactly. So I think not to maybe go around in a complete circle, but you mentioned in, in your talk last yesterday about like that repetition of like, coming to a well hmm. and how that in that moment, okay, what we're expecting is X. We're going to find a wife hmm. and all these are instances in Genesis. But then when you get to Saul, now that pattern, instead of being the same or yeah. similar, like we've talked about so far, that pattern, there's like, not like a complete twist, but there's a subtle difference there. And now that really gets us to pay attention. I think even more, or we're supposed yeah. to pay attention yeah. even more and to really, okay, so why is there a difference here? Mm-hmm. You know, is there a shift? Why is that shift significant? And it's not always easy to tell like on the first no. like attempt. I don't think it's necessarily meant to be. But a lot of this, I think, is an invitation to read the Bible in a much slower way, yeah. in a way that's more reflective. And at the same time, it's not always easy. But to, as best as possible, have Genesis 1 through 3 in the back of our heads, while at the same time being as familiar as possible with these larger narratives mm-hmm. and the structures of them. Um, because I think in them, there's a message being communicated um, at, a, at a meta level cool. as well. Thanks, man. Yep. It's great.